chapter 16. I have told you these things so you won't abandon your faith, for you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I am telling you these things now, so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. The work of the Holy Spirit. But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Good morning, everybody. So good to be with you. We, as you can see here, we are in a journey together. If you are new or newer, maybe you're even joining us, we are entering a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. We've been in the Gospel of John for an extended period of time, and we're in the last part of it, the last conversations that Jesus is having with his closest followers, his 12 disciples who have become 11 now because Judas has betrayed Jesus, and so there's this 11, and Jesus has is doing the final pre preparation for them to launch the kingdom movement that he has come to inaugurate. And so the, the words have the, the depth and the gravitas, if you will, of final words, uh, of last things, if you will. And there's a, this is called an upper room discourse. And so we are in this section where we're joining a conversation. And because the words of Jesus in this section are so dense, we're kind of taking time to do it section by section, but even doing it section by section, can I just submit to you that if you have a Bible and enjoy reading the Bible, to read the entire section together, John 14 through 17, because there's just so much weight and so much flow to it all. We pick up themes, for example, in this section in John chapter 16 that Jesus has been discussing for quite a while. We pick up the theme, for example, of the fact that, that there are going to be challenges or persecution that is coming. And, and there are also that, that Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper to, to his people to empower them for this world kingdom movement. And so we're going to be looking at both of those things. But let me pause there for a second because for a couple different reasons the first one is 
Um, we, have, we are journeying together in a study where we've created some curriculum for us to go through. So many of our groups are going through this together, and we have workbooks for you to, the, to that end. Um, also, this is something that you can pick up and grab, and for the next several weeks as we ramp up toward Easter, you can use this as just a devotional opportunity to walk through this and kind of get in sync with this as well. We have those on the plaza. We have those at the back tables and in the corners as well. We would invite you to grab one of those things. We would love for you to, to participate in this in any way you can. So go ahead and grab one of those. And by the way, if you are a leader of groups, just know that we have leaders guides for you as well. We want to get those to you uh, also. And, and I just want to mention that that I thought that we were doing our Love Encinitas shirts as a team this week. Um, and I found out we're not. So I'm not trying to like kind of dress down or anything. And I just want you to know that um, I'm wearing all black today because my Niners lost to the Kansas City Cheaters last week. <laughs> and uh, I've never seen so many blown calls. Sasha was a prophet. He said the NFL has it rigged because of Taylor Swift. And it's so true. And so I'm in mourning right now. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I will be. In fact, I just want you to know, you know, people kind of give things up for Lent. We're in Lent season right now. Some of you maybe are doing that as way. They fast from things, they give, et cetera. So I'm not watching a down of NFL football for at least seven months. I'm not one down. I'm out. I'm completely disengaged from that. I've totally fasted other than the Super Bowl being on my DVR to watch the cheaters cheat. Anyway, okay, here we go. Back to the text here. We are listening in on a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, and, and we, are, we are in a section now where Jesus continues, uh, continues to prepare them for his departure. So in, de in preparing them for his departure and walking them through, he's going to say a couple things that I've already mentioned as well. Num number one is he's going to say, look, trouble is going to accompany you as you proclaim me. That, that there's going to be a new normal in your life, and that new normal is in your life is because you are identified with me in that identification, people will treat you like they've waited for it, treated me. Now... <laughs> That is not an invitation to personal peace and happiness. It's an invitation to, wow, so this is really something substantive and serious, but something also to which I want to give my life. And so Jesus has invited all of us by extension into that. And so Jesus is going to normalize that for people. We're going to talk a little bit about the impact of normalizing something difficult in just a second. But the other thing he's, he's going to develop, which has been a theme throughout this section here, is I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you as orphans. That's Jesus's words right there. But I'm going to provide for you in a way that, now wait for it, because you just heard it in the text. But I just want to say it because it's one of the most challenging verses for me in the Bible in a way. Here's what Jesus says. It's better for me to leave. Say what? It's better for me to leave. For you. Not for me. For you. Because if I leave, I will send the helper, advocate, parakletos, 
Holy Spirit to you. And he will do all kinds of things in your life that will be different than just being with me. Now, if anybody else had said that or even proposed that as an idea that it's better for Jesus to leave because of what will follow in the wake, I would probably be tempted to scoff, except that it's Jesus' own words. So you and I live in a moment in salvation history in which it's better than to actually have been in the personal presence. Are you feeling the weight of that? Like that is a staggering statement and promise, and yet you and I live in it. And so we're going to watch just a little bit of how Jesus explains that. And actually a little, just a, this much of how the New Testament fleshes that out for us as well. Because that is an incredible implica- has incredible implications for your life and, and for mine. So here we go. So two, so two different things. I've, I've mentioned them as well. That Jesus is going to talk about challenge, and he's going to talk about change. So I think we have maybe a statement up here uh, of where I'm trying to go here. Because Jesus is live, leaving, Jesus says, because I am leaving, get ready for challenges and get ready for change. So the, the challenges part is the first section, the first four and a half verses, really, if you will, where Jesus says things like this. I'm not going to read the whole section, but I'm just going to read just a little bit of this. Um, I've said to these things that I've said these things that these things connects to chapter 15 where Jesus moves from this incredibly rich vine the vine and you're the branches metaphor and greater love has no one than this and a man lays down his life for his, my, for his friends and you're my friends he moves from that the richness and the connection of that to you're going to be hated on my account yay right and so he's saying these things right to, to his disciples and he said and he said i want to refresh your memory here i'm saying to these things so that when you encounter them you won't stumble in other words it's like hey this is way more than i bargained for i didn't sign up for the ever said things like that right and so jesus says, no this is going to be normal right the challenges that are going to come are going to be normal because of your association with me so be Get used to, if you will, that. Become accustomed. Normalize that because of your association with me. Now, the New Testament church, the first generation of Jesus followers, totally did this. I mean, not perfectly did this, but they understood that their association with Jesus would bring about two different fundamental things. One is that people, because God was on the move and salvation history was on the move, people were going to respond to Jesus' death and his death for sin and his resurrection. And they were going to, and they did. And so, for example, we have in Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people who bow the knee to Jesus right in the very place where just a little while before they'd been chanting crucify him so something supernatural is going on here with the proclamation of the fact that jesus has risen from the dead but then just two chapters later in acts chapter four peter and john have been persecuted they've been arrested they've been yelled at they've been all this kind of stuff in there and they returned to the company of the disciples and they are praising god (laughs) that they've been counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. It was normal. 
And they were grateful that God had so worked in their lives that they were able to represent him in the midst of a place where in one moment, 3,000 can bow the knee to Jesus in the very place where they'd shouted crucify, and at the same time that religious authorities could say and scream and yell and tell them to proclaim this name no longer, that they'd be counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. It's amazing how when something challenging can become normal, you just adjust expectations, right? You, you, ever, <laughs> you ever done that? You probably have a lot of different ways that you, you can do this. I was thinking about this when I was thinking about um, my, our, our older son went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Any, any Mustangs, any Cal Poly San Luis Obispo people? Yeah, you, yeah, they were, I love it, yeah. And, and, and one of the things for him, and maybe for you guys as well, as Cal Poly, as you, many of you know, Cal Poly is an architecture school, right? And so it's one of just a few in California, says an architecture school. And so my son, one of the times when we were just hanging out with him on campus, he was talking about, and this had become legendary, and many of you know, actually maybe you've had personal stories like this. But the architecture students, when their final projects were due, it's a quarter school, right? And so 10 weeks, then final. When their final projects were due, the architecture students would lock themselves in the architecture building. And they would be 24-7 finishing these projects. They wouldn't come home. They wouldn't sleep. They wouldn't do all this kind of stuff, right? And if you were an architecture student, you knew this is what you do. Like, you, you, you don't get out of that loop. If you're an architecture student, you work until it's done, until you have to turn this thing in. And so it costs you massively to do this. But you embrace the challenge because you're an architecture student and you're an architecture school and it was really hard to get in and you love architecture and you want to be an architect, right? And so that's what you do. So you normalize that. You don't say, well, I didn't sign up for this. You knew exactly, in a sense, what you signed up for because someone told you it's really hard to be an architect at Cal Poly, and to get through there, there's the place where they barricade themselves. It's kind of funny to think about that, right? I mean, you know, every business student walks by that and thanks God they're not an architect, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. And that's true. I mean, there, there are other things, right? There are other academic disciplines that you do, and you know, it doesn't matter where you went to school. It's hard, right? All of you engineers, God bless you. Yeah, it's hard. All you doc, I mean, just you have a long list, right? But it's challenging. We can go a lot of different directions with this as well, right? When your doctor normalizes, hey, here's what post-surgery is going to be like for your particular whatever your surgery was, right? And then they tell you that, and it's like, oh, okay, good. So this, I'm in normal zone right here. So Jesus says, here's normal zone. It's going to be challenging because they're going to treat you like they treated me. And he said, if they called the head, they called the master of the house Beelzebul, prince of the demons, how much more, right? And so Jesus normalizes this, this challenge aspect. And that has implications for the way that you and I live our lives as well. That as we 
embrace the message of Jesus as we become his followers, as we learn to follow in his ways, one of the ways that we learn to follow in his ways and follow in his footsteps is to walk out the challenges of being his. And there's lots of great instruction in the New Testament about how we do that with grace and truth and all of those kinds of kinds of things. That's probably a subject for another thing because I think, you know, just parenthetically, many of us have gotten ourselves in trouble and the, the offense is not the message, the offense is in the messenger and the way we present it, okay? Is that fair? You know, at least I have as well. So sometimes that's a separate conversation, but not for now. Jesus normalizes challenges. He says, look, because I am leaving, he says in his own words, challenges are coming. Ch challenges are, are coming because of your identification with me. But he doesn't, now, if he just stopped there, be like, oh, gosh, here we go, you know? Life stinks, and then you die, right? You have just kind of this melancholy, oh, great. But that's not what he says at all. He begins then this huge kind of circle that he continues to draw. Yes, all that's going to come. But change is also going to come, which is kind of a milk toast way. But I couldn't figure out a better way to say it because there's so much that what he's going to say right here. This is where Jesus then begins to say, so. I've said all of this stuff to normalize things so you don't trip over it when they come. But it's actually to your advantage that I leave. I already said this. Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to do a couple things that I'm going to develop in this little section right here. He's going to speak to the world about its spiritual condition. And then he's going to guide his followers into all truth okay and so get ready for change in this second section in in chapter 16 verses but let me just read a few verses here um, that i've been alluding to verse 7 says this i tell you the truth it's to your advantage that i go away for if i do not go away the helper shall not come to you but if i go i will send him to you now, this is what the helper is going to do that Jesus first says. He's already talked about the helper a whole bunch of times in John 14 and 15. Um, but he says, and he, when, and he, that is the helper, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he, get, he impacts this just a little bit concerning sin because they do not believe in me, righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me, and judgment because the ruler of this world has been judge i don't know about you that's not the clearest explanation of things it, it, it takes me a minute okay to kind of figure what is jesus saying here here so let me see if i can kind of condense a whole bunch of reading and scholarly and smart people in there as well okay so the spirit is going to convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment speak to its spiritual condition okay concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Okay, what, what does that mean? John's gospel begins with these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him. And apart from him, nothing has been created. It's come into, all things came into being. Excuse me, I always mess that up. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not 
could not comprehend it or overpower it. John begins his gospel by saying this, God Almighty, okay, took on human form without losing his God Almighty-ness, okay, two natures in one person, that is Jesus, the one we know is Jesus Christ or Jesus of Nazareth. He walked among us full of grace and truth. So in other words, God Almighty came to us in a way that we could actually understand him and touch him and listen to him and see him and talk to him. How much more could God answer our prayer to God? We, how do we know you? And so he did all of that and we refused collectively and individually to believe in him. It's not enough. So concerning sin, because God has come to us and we refused him. Concerning righteousness, because, because the righteousness of Jesus' contemporaries was Jesus has to be killed for the best interest of everybody involved. It's expedient for one man to die, the high priest said in John chapter 12, than for everybody else. And so, don't you understand this? And so Jesus was killed as an act of justice or righteousness. Same word, by the way, in Greek. But Jesus <laughs> goes to the Father vindicated in his death and his resurrection. And then concerning judgment. Not because God is going to somehow come with a hammer toward people, but because there's actually so much more to the darkness that we are in right now. There is a dark ruler in the world. The ruler of this world has been judged and condemned and vanquished and a kingdom is inaugurated now. That there are so many layers to all of this and Jesus is going to send the Spirit and the Spirit is going to speak to the world about all that. Now, let me just say something real quickly about that. <laughs> editing so many things here you guys so stay with me for a second um, if you and I <laughs> have what well, I, I would let me just say it like this our very presence here listening opening God's word wherever you are as Dom so eloquently said kind of in your spiritual journey if you're trying to figure it out you're not really sure who Jesus is you're trying to kind of figure this whole thing out or you've been a Jesus follower for as long as you can remember and kind of everything in, in between in your uninterrupted journey wherever you are the, the very fact that you would see Jesus as someone that you want to believe in or at least you are intrigued by is a gift from God it will not come to you naturally it will become because the Spirit has worked somehow where you have seen something and something of your need or someone's need or society's need or the world's need for a Savior. 
for someone else. Because at the end, it's like you can't save yourself. Our systems can't save all of humanity. And so some combination of all of that stuff is a gift to say there's got to be something and someone more. And all of that is a work of the Spirit. A work of God speaking and helping us understand and creating spiritual discernment so that we see those things and we don't keep trying to hang our hat or our hooks on something that just doesn't work. And inclining and tilting our hearts both to our need for a Savior and that Jesus actually is the one that Jesus is actually that one. See, now that's change. And that's a change that you and I can't just manufacture in ourselves. Now, I realize many of you have kind of been on a journey where you've really worked hard, you've really thought through things, you've really done a lot of kind of academic, I, I get all, and it's fantastic. I'm, I'm not... I'm not repudiating any of, of that. That stuff is actually important, and even for many of us, it's really necessary in our spiritual journey. But all of those things are gifts from God, God's work in our life. And there's a second aspect here that I just want to touch on briefly, and then I want to hit some implications for our our lives as well. That when the, when the, the Spirit comes, he, Jesus is going to continue in verse 13, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. Well, he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose uh, to you what is to come. He will take from mine. He will glorify me, verse 14. Take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. We see this Trinitarian work that we're actually going to celebrate in a moment here as we recite a creed at the back end here. But let me just drop down here for a second. The Spirit is going to convict the world in which, of which we are a part, right, of its need for a Savior. Speak to the genuine spiritual condition of the world and tilt hearts toward, and Jesus is the one who, who says, I am the Savior of the world. But then the Spirit is also going to guide followers into all the truth. In other words, he's going to be an active presence, not just out there in the world, but in here as well, in the lives of believers. So we'll pause again for a second, take a breath, and say, wow, so Jesus says it's to our advantage that he leaves because he's going to send the Spirit to do things in the lives of his followers. I just want to hit four of those things. <clears throat> I, 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 <laughs> I would so love, th this would be such a fun place, but we've got to get to Easter, I promise. This would be sun, such a fun place. You know, Ryan and I and lots of us talk about things like this weird things like this. All we geek out. This would be such a fun place to pause and do six weeks on the Holy Spirit because of all that Jesus has to say about his relationship with the Father and with the Spirit in this section, okay? But let me just give you a, let me give you four that jump out, I'll jump off the page to, to, to me here as we talk about the impl implications here of the Spirit. Okay, so the advantage of the Father and the Son sending the Spirit. Okay, so the Spirit, Ephesians, not, not only Ephesians chapter 1, but Ephesians chapter 1, the Spirit seals us, okay? That when you and I believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption, 
Okay, so in other words, there is a permanent seal. It's a beautiful picture of a, of a Roman signet ring, wax, right, where the, the seal and the mark is the mark of permanence. But the point of that is that, that the Spirit seals us for as God's own possession for the day of redemption. And 2 Corinthians 5, 5 adds to this that the Spirit is also the down payment or the earnest of what will come to us. In other words, he's the beginning, but he's the earnest payment of what it is that we will experience in eternity. It's like kind of mind-blowing, right? So the Spirit seals us to create in us that permanent sense of security. We'll keep going with this, okay? The Spirit of God just into all the, into the truth about Jesus. We've talked about that there in 14, chapter 14, 26, a couple weeks ago with Ryan, and then in chapter 16, verse 13, right here. So in other words, the Spirit is the one who is moving us into the truth, the grace and truth of Jesus. I could keep going with these things. I got to keep keep moving here. The, the, the Spirit strengthens and fills us miles deep here. Paul's in, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is concluding a prayer. He's concluding Ephesians 1 through 3 with a prayer. And in that prayer, then, is that, that God would strengthen us with power through his spirit in the inner person, in the inner man, so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and breadth and length and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. You're just blathering the Bible. What are you trying to say here? The spirit strengthens us to experience the love of Christ in the deepest recesses of what it means to be human. In the deepest places of our, of our being in there. And then he also, in Ephesians 5, fills us, directs us, empowers us, creates in us, moves through us. And then finally, this one that yeah, this one, I just, I love this. So there's so much about the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, but this one in particular um, has been striking, striking to me, that the Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. <laughs> I, one of the things I chuckle as I love that in there is that Paul says so often, right in that, those verses, we don't even know how to pray as we ought. <laughs> I mean, I laugh, but I don't laugh. Like, we don't even know how to pray for ourselves or anybody else for that matter, really. It, it's just kind of one of those things about just the, the fundamental kind of like what it means to be human kind of deal. And so thankfully, by God's grace, the Spirit isn't just, doesn't just seal us and live in us, guide us into all truth, strengthen and fill us. Fill us. He actually prays for us because we don't know how to pray even for ourselves with groanings too deep for words. He's all over us and in us and through us. And so we say again with Jesus, some incredible way it is to our advantage because Jesus sends the Spirit and in this moment in salvation history, the Spirit is doing these and so many more things in our lives. Okay, so let's just connect some, a few dots here for, for a second. These are dots that at least connect for me. The Spirit's... Wow, I just got the microphone close to my mouth again. Sorry about that. 
for all of you in the back who have not heard me for the last 12 minutes. Sorry about that. <laughs> the Spirit's sealing ministry speaks to my insecurity. It's amazing the things that I can invent to get insecure about, get neurotic about, wonder about. And, you know, you and I can watch all kinds of people on social media or whatever who yell at the world and say to wherever with all of you, I no longer care about your opinion of me. And so somehow in that act of defiance, that's supposed to be a good thing. But it's not a secure thing. It's just an independent, I don't care about the world or some other group of people thing. But what the Spirit does in sealing us is that he seals us as God's own possession and permanence. In other words, we are permanently in relationship with him. So the Spirit spe speaks to, to, he seals us and speaks to my insecurity. He speaks to my darkness and disorientation because I find all over the, all over the place and in every episode or just about every episode in my life, Lord, I, I need to understand like how I should navigate this. How should I navigate money? How should I navigate time? How should I navigate, where do I give myself to? How should I navigate this relationship or that relationship or those relationships? How do I rate, relate to Ukraine? How do I relate to re Russia? How do I relate to, relate to Palestinians? How do I relate to Israelis? How do I, how do I, how do I, right? We just keep going with all these things. We're like, whoa, how is it that I do this? And so the Spirit guides us into all truth because fundamentally so often it's about disorientation and chaos and where do I, and so the Spirit speaks to that as he leads and guides, he strengthens and fills us. We love to talk at Seacoast about, um, we are about finding life in Jesus and learning to walk in his ways. And this is part of that, that as we find life in Jesus, we find also that this learning to walk in his ways is not just kind of a moment in time. It's not just a light switch. It's a journey in which we journey together with Jesus as all these things come at us. And so we have some things sorted for a little while, and then more stuff comes at us, and we have to learn how to walk in his way. Some of you who are down the road a little bit from the rest of us are teaching us what it looks like to walk in Jesus' ways in your part of the journey that we're not yet at, right? And so we watch you. I just want you to know that. We, we, we watch you that are down the road here because we have to learn how to walk with Jesus and in something that we've not yet experienced and so by the way thank you for that but those places where we learn how to walk in his ways and the spirit strengthens and fills us and then he intercedes with us for us which speaks at least for me to my confusion and chaos it's so often things can come at me so I'm going to invite the worship team up, and we're going to recite something here for a second. We're going to get them kind of settled and stuff. And I just want to close a time in prayer because maybe a few of those things or other things have connected with, with you. So, so, for example, you, you, you may, I, I may have lost you in the security conversation. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm... I'm just neurotic about what other people think of me. 
or about what that group of people thinks about me. Or I curse the day that social media was born because I just got the truck unloaded because of a comment that I made from a bunch of people I don't even know. But it's like, wow, really? And they're saying things about me that they couldn't possibly know that aren't true. Like how? Wrong reference. Sorry. I'm going to close that time in prayer. Just kind of let this, this ministry of the Spirit that He seals us that he guides us into the truth, that he strengthens and fills us. And he intercedes with us for groan, with groanings too deep for words. To not just be something that's out there, but that's something that is in here and in here. Okay? Let's close this time in prayer. And so, Father, we collect ourselves around. You sending the Son... Jesus, you with the Father sending the Spirit. And for those of us who have believed in you, Jesus, <laughs> Spirit, you are in us, sealing us for the day of redemption. And that you are ours <laughs> as Jesus is ours and Father, as you are ours because of what Jesus has done. And so to the confusion and chaos, to the, to the insecurity, to the darkness and the disorientation, would you speak? Would you speak those words, Spirit, way down deep in us? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that you, Spirit, bear witness with our spirit that we belong to Jesus. And as belongers, would you create in us that kind of security that that first generation of Jesus followers modeled so well for us? Confidence in you, courage to proclaim you, and to live in and with and for you. Spirit, thank you that you were in us. Jesus, thank you so much for sending him. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to close this little section of our time together by, by doing something that uh, churches have done and churches are doing all, all over the world right now. Uh, many of you have been involved in creedal churches where you recite those things. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and then we're going to sing together after this. But this is the Apostles' Creed. There, there's a, one phrase in here that as we were discussing a little bit of the worship team, we just want to kind of uh, uh, un, unpack for you and explain. Okay? In here, there, there, there's going to be in a statement that we're going to affirm that says uh, we, are, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And that word Catholic you're going to see is a small c. Catholic means universal. Okay? So this is not for, for this is not the capital C Roman Catholic Church. This is this is all the people who believe in Jesus, and that's what we are affirming as we do this together. Okay? So let, let's do this. Let's, let's read this this together. Here we go. I believe in God, the Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.
thank you so much this morning uh, just for the reminder that it is for our good that you left because you had a plan to send your spirit and Lord, we know that you're present and we know that you did not abandon us and we know that even as we face challenges, we can take heart because you have overcome the world and all that we will face. So we thank you for that reminder today. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your love. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, as we end here uh, this morning, uh, we are reminded today that Jesus said we will have challenges and change in life. And as many of you know, uh, Pastor Dom, we've been walking a journey of change for the last year. He retired for, as a worship pastor back in November, came out of retirement today for one day. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but he is, uh, this is his final day on staff with us at Seacoast, as many of you know, and he'll be taking the next step of his journey. I want to invite, is the rest of your family here? Tara and Amalia are back Where there. Are Asher's Come on up here, Tara and Amalia. And then I'm also going to invite, we're going to have a big stage here. Um, our, our, uh, the elders and their spouses and, and current staff, if you're in here with your spouse, if you want to come up, we're going to pray over her, you in a moment. But Dom, I, um, come on up here, Tara, Amalia. So we'll step to the front so everyone else can kind of get your hands. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Tara, come on up front too. We want to see you. Yeah. Um, you know, Dom, it's been a, for the last almost five years that you've been here. Um, it's been just my privilege and pleasure to work alongside you, not just as a coworker, but as you've become my friend. And um, we have uh, gone through a bunch of stuff uh, and things happened shut down time. a church, reopened a church, did outdoor seating stages. That was not my fault. Stages, by the way. I just yeah. Want to be clear, like, I and um, just have have walked a lot to, of life together here, and really appreciate you and your friendship and leadership. Um, obviously, we love your worship leading and your teaching. Um, but uh, be, what people don't see is all the behind-the-scenes stuff of just day-to-day -day life. And, um, you know, we're going to miss you. Um, he might be on the teaching schedule this summer, so we'll see you again. But um, as, as a guest, um, so, um, but we're so grateful. I'm so grateful for you and your family and for these last uh, four and a half, five years together. And um, we'd love to just, uh, you know, give you a second to share what's next and then, you know, anything else you want to say. And then we're going to pray for you. Yeah, sort of surreal. It's been about 15 years standing on the stage. I think Bill Buchanan and I were standing on stage crying together, trying not to look at each other. So I'm not going to look at Ryan so I don't repeat that. Uh, but I was here on staff that many years ago, and so it's been such a privilege of life to come back to a church and to have not left in a way that wouldn't allow me to be invited back. Mm -hmm. and, and I hope that's the way we're even again. Not because I'm trying to go for a third round, but, <laughs> but just... We'll see. <laughs> I, yeah, but I hope that we've modeled a place of transparency and honesty and, and just a way of that. Um, change can be hard, but it's not, it's not destructive. Our, our marriage is good. Our kids love us. We love them. We love Ryan. We love the elders. Uh, we've just been listening to a call. And like we've said before, we're so thankful that Ryan and the elders have allowed space for that to happen. And so a lot of people have been praying for us this last year and so thankful for that so many conversations on the plaza what's next and we've kind of been in limbo of going what is next um, but what we're stepping into is into a nonprofit work where it's caring and coaching for worship pastors in all of san diego county so that's us we're starting with an organization that's called likewise worship it's been happening it's in 12 states um, if you're interested you can scan that qr code to learn more about it um, but it's a nonprofit role and the whole role is just to love leaders in the church and shepherd shepherds and their spouses. And so we're excited that we get to do that together as a family. 
my wife and I get to sit alongside the table and share 25 years of ministry experience and 20 years of marriage experience to help pastors stuck. And just anecdotally, on Wednesday, I got called by a young pastor uh, in town who's struggling with porn. His marriage is falling apart, and he was supposed to, like, lead ministry that night. And that's the exact reason <laughs> why we're doing what we do. Because sometimes pastors have nowhere to go. It's a hard thing to tell your boss. Ryan is an exception where I got to tell him, I think I'm leaving, and he didn't say pack. <laughs> and, and, and where pastors can go and find place to struggle and counsel. And so it's a beautiful thing. We'd ask you to pray for us. There's a slide. It's just three things, seriously, to pray for us. Some of you have been, and we just ask you to continue to do that. San Diego is such a huge county. There's 3.3 million people. There's hundreds of churches in town. And we want to hopefully that likewise will disappear because the church is functioning how we hope it would be. That's the goal. We work ourselves at a job. We ask you to partner if you're interested, learning more about that, and then people. If you know people that need that resource, some of you have already been texting me. If you know somebody that's in ministry that just needs somebody to talk to, to walk with them, to sit alongside the table with us, we would love that. And so that's our ask. Likewise, worship is what we're doing. We're so thankful for it. So thankful for Seacoast. Thank you. It's been a privilege of life these last couple of years. So thank you. Hmm. Yeah. I can't look at you. I can't look at you either, Bill. <laughs> yeah. my, my John Wick coat. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're, again, we're grateful. Hey, we have a table out back um, with thank you cards. If you want to write notes of uh, just encouragement and just share your feelings uh, towards Dom and Terry. This is not a comment card to say, you know, I never really did. Like, no, this, this is just the encouragement. <laughs> we're here to see it, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'd love to uh, pray for you and your family now. So would you join with us? Lord God, we thank you so much for Dom and Tara and for Asher and Amalia. And thank you for the gift that they've been, not just to our church, uh, but to many churches uh, over the last 25 years of ministry. And, uh, and, and not just to churches, but to thousands of students at Hume Lake. And, and people have been to different retreats and conferences. Uh, and so we thank you, Lord, for the years that you've prepared them for this next thing. And, um, Lord, I pray that you take all those experiences, all of that wisdom, and you would use it to expand your kingdom as they encourage and build up uh, worship pastors and other pastors in the church. Um, Lord, that your church can be strong, that we can change the narrative where there's not a story time and time again of people in ministry burning out, failing, falling. But, God, give them just the wisdom to lean in and to be there for people so that your church would shine. And so, Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for these years. Uh, we are saying goodbye, but not forever. Uh, we still have our friends. So uh, we ask that you send them now um, and let them feel the whole love of Seacoast. And we pray for them now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for coming out today. Write a card out in the plaza. Um, if you want to say bye to Dom, you can do it, but you only have 10 minutes to do so. <laughs>